Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. My name's Kara. Thank you for being here on time this morning. We um, are going to be reading out of Psalm 81 this morning to start our um, worship time. So you can follow along or close your eyes if you need um, to meditate on uh, the word. So Psalm 81, 1 says, Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to God of Jacob. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. And um, when I was reading something about the lectionary and the value of the lectionary, um, one of the ways that somebody was describing the benefit of reading through the lectionary is that it, it brings um, the Bible to your life instead of bringing your life to the Bible. And I think what it means by that is sometimes when we're in spaces or like really feeling anxious, we specifically go to the Bible and topically approach the Bible for what we are wanting. But something that the lectionary does is it kind of allows the Bible to begin to transcend into our lives. So we're reading um, the word, the words of God, and they're able to be brought into our life. And so as reading that. Um, I was reminded that this is an opportunity that we might not have brought our life to that passage, but that passage is bringing life to our souls in ways that we wouldn't have found otherwise. Um, so if you can stand, before, stand with me as we pray, um, go into worship. And just for a moment... I want to take a moment for us to inhale the truth that God is with us. And exhale the chaos and the burdens and the tensions that surround us that fight to tell us otherwise. God, I thank you that you are in this place and that you are in our midst. And for just a moment in time this morning together, may we be reminded that you came down to be with us. And so together, corporately, maybe may we be reminded that you are indeed with us. We hand you our burdens. We hand you our tensions. We hand you the pieces of our heart that we feel like nobody sees or nobody knows, we hand them to you and we place them at the altar. In the 
this morning during worship, I just ask that there would be a sweetness in the remembering that you are with us. And may we exalt your name as Lord over all other names. And may we exalt your name as Lord over all other things. May your name be praised and lifted higher and higher and higher. So come this morning and have your way and do the things in our heart that only you can do. Love the way that only you can love. Be near in the ways that only you can be near to our soul. And may your praise flow from our lips. brokenhearted God who we believe can heal the brokenhearted who can be with us in our brokenness whose love can ooze into the nooks and crannies of our heart that we would be brave to receive your love and your healing. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in a season of brokenness. We stand with them so they know you stand with them. We whisper to them, you are not alone, so that they might hear your whisper. We whisper that they are loved and deeply known, and we become your mouthpiece. Do the work only you can do. We are trusting God for you to be God, because there's a brokenness we cannot fix. 
So will you do it? Will you do it? As we pour our love and our worship on you and as we faithfully show up, will you do the work that only you can do in our hearts, in our community, in our city, in our world, in our church? your presence, Jesus. God's people say, amen. If you guys can make your way to your seats, I don't want to keep you here for forever, forever, but I am going to speak to you. Definitely like a more communal day, Labor Day. A lot of people out of town, a lot of people in town. Anybody have any friends in town from Florida? Are you from Florida? Welcome. Safe and sound. So, going to jump right in. Um, one of the things I'm aware of after we go on a men's retreat, and I'm sure after they go on the women's retreat, is like the atmosphere after those things. Like last week was just like vibrant. And it's the fruit of like three days together where you're just in community with 40 other people. And then kind of the overflow of when that happens is I just believe it's a better environment. There's more knownness. Um, but I also am, am aware that I'm not trying to copy what God does in a last week and then a this week. Does that make sense? It's not that way. So God has something for today as he had something for last week, as he has something for next week. And I just want to be present today and I would like you to be present as well while we go through this passage and these passages. Particularly speaking, the lectionary's passage for today, which I know for some people, when you hear the word lectionary, you're like, what is that? It's a collection of passages that a lot of people preach all over. So there's a lot of churches doing the same thing. But one of the things that's done for me, which I didn't see coming in January when we decided to do it, is it puts these passages together that shouldn't necessarily be together. And it keeps you from being able to say, here's what I'm thinking I'd like to share. I'll select these passages and share that. And it makes you interact with the scripture in a different way. So it takes an Old Testament text. It takes a New Testament text. It takes a psalm. And it, it makes you do what I believe the Bible was intended to do. How is all of this speaking of Jesus? How is Christ informing these passages from the Old Testament that the prophets were saying? That when we read, we're like, is that our God? How is he informing the poetry of the Psalms. So I've actually fell in love with this because it's brought the scripture to life for me and brought the power of the spirit much more into the pl in, into play as I study. And for some of you, you didn't know this, but you can actually follow along weekly. There's texts you can read together and pray together. Some of our life groups do it, but I really recommend it. It's for me been, it's I think for our whole staff, we do this thing at the beginning of our staff meeting where we read all the passages we pray, we ask God to speak clearly what is his message for us this week, not just for a Sunday, but for the week. And it's been enlightening. So t last week we did it and we talked through the passage in the synagogue where Jesus goes in, he sees someone that's been crippled for 18 years, he heals this person, the person immediately can raise their hands and praise God. We realize it's the first time this person's been touched in 18 years and it's almost like a liberation back into community and the body of Christ. So it's this full healing back into community in the body of Christ, which allows this person to now be with people, which God, that's God's intention is for us to be with people, as Sarah was saying earlier. This week, Jesus is at a table 
And the table he's at is one of the leaders of the Pharisees, actually probably someone from the Sanhedrin. And he goes in and he takes his seat at the table and he starts to have a conversation. And so today when we start, I wanted to bring to the surface what tables are for. What's the meaning of a table? And we have tables everywhere. It's the thing now. It's it's almost a trend, really. I have a friend who actually named his church Table Church, and it's a big deal. We have a table business downstairs. Who knows, who knows we have a table downstairs called the table, literally called the table. And what happens to tables? It's, it's a place, at least in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and in our lives, where you can give and receive grace freely. Not just to receive, right? We've all had the conversation where we talk about someone bringing something to a meal and then realizing you have four college students and realizing you're going to get not a lot from them. But everybody should bring something to a meal. We've all been those college students too, which you'd like stop by a drugstore and you get a bag of chips and there's like lamb. And people are like, well, it's, you know, but it's fine. We all bring something to the table, right? We all bring something to the table. We all participate at the table. We all listen at the table. There's usually a lead at the table, at our home, it's one of us, typically, if we're sitting at the table, which we recommend doing. I realized in my life, I've told you this before, growing up, there was not a lot of table meals um, in our family. That just wasn't an extreme high value. There wasn't that kind of setting. And for many of you, maybe that's been your story as well, that sitting around a table and just being face-to-face and asking questions like, now, our question is, what is it, high-low? What's the other one in between? There's like five different variations on this. Good, bad, ugly. Uh, what is it? Anybody else have another one? What's ours? High-low God. Do that last one in there. What is it? Joy, junk, Jesus, stable talk, right? Joy, junk, Jesus is good. So these are things, though, to get the conversation going at a table. And so in the passage we're going to read from Luke today, Jesus is at a table. And like he does at a table, he has strong opinions about things because when Jesus sits at a table, he scans what's happening, and he is Jesus. So he then proceeds to do what Jesus needs to do at a table. So at some tables, it looks like someone reclining upon him. At another table, it looks like him calling something out and being like, this is not right. But in any table Jesus is at, he needs to be the lead, and he has something to say about it. He has information to to give about it or just to live out about it. And so this table is built because we knew that the Eucharist or communion would need to be central. And the reason we knew this is because, and I, I don't, this is where I have a potential of going on a tangent that I don't want to go on a tangent. But about 40 or 50 years ago, most of our churches in America decided, especially the denomination I came from, that we didn't necessarily need the table anymore. We don't need the table for the Eucharist. It's actually odd and awkward and confusing to people, and it's not something that's pleasant. And so in our particular denomination, they actually changed the language at first that this this used to be this glorious table where Christ was at the center, and they noticed that that bothered some people, so they started to say things like, we're just doing this as a symbol of what we believe. No, it's not just a symbol. Actually, you know what? It'd be better if we just did a special service built around the Eucharist and communion. And then all of a sudden, in the 90s, the table's gone from churches, right? The Eucharist is gone. And so much so that it became normal for us to pass out these little cups that we all heard when we like... And we do these little things and services built around the whole reason we're here. We've put Jesus in a little cup with a little thing you peel off and a little wafer that was produced at some factory, probably a Jesus factory. There's plenty of those. 
No. And then we took that out because that was stupid. Because most people, why are we doing this? So we removed the table. In the 90s, we built up the altar. So the altar became the replacement for the table. Don't hear me say that the altar is bad. It's just not the table, right? So the altars became the table, and that became the emphasis of the services, the altar where you meet God. The only problem with that is at the altar minus the table, you can pretty much do whatever you want. The table has to center the altar. I have a friend who actually says the table has to be the center of every altar, and the altar has to be the edges, completely spilling into our homes, our communities, but it's always the center. Going out from that is the altar. You can't have the altar without the table. This is why we're here. Because when somebody in the 70s and 80s saw that we were breaking bread together and drinking juice or wine, somebody would say, what is that? Well, that's the blood and body of Christ. And they'd say, what? The blood and body of Christ? Yeah, this is, this is what Christ did. This is what happened. It's the gospel story every week in every scenario. When you remove that, then it becomes about, and this is, this is the flaw of altars, because altars aren't bad, but it becomes only about what you need when you're here. And if you remove this, it just becomes what you want. And it can't be just this, because we all need different stuff. We all want stuff. It has to be centered in Christ. And so today I want to talk to you from two passages. One of them is from Luke, and one of them is from Jeremiah. And I'm going to read the New Testament one first, if that's okay. If you can pull up Luke for me. This is right after. This is actually the same kind of flowing from when he healed this person. He was being called out for healing someone on the Sabbath. Jesus does a lot on the Sabbath. He does a lot of work on the Sabbath, healing people, trying to restore the idea of what the body of Christ was. This is the flow out of that. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of a Pharisee, of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to say to you, give your place to the person, and then you will begin to feel shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner banquet, this is when it gets like, oh, this is when it gets like a little bit of wake up is happening. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return to repay you. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this is a lot. This is a big deal, what's being said here. And just for you to have clarity, the, the word humility is not the idea of you just being a weak person that anyone can abuse, right? Like that's, that's not humility. If you're in an abusive situation, that's not okay and you don't need to stay in it, period. But humility isn't just you being low. It's the right positioning in relation to Christ. Because, and this is why when we removed this from churches, a lot of junk started happening. Because if Christ isn't at the table, we have no balancing to even see where we are. 
But when Christ is at a table with us, we recognize our own earthliness. We recognize our createdness, our creatureliness. If he's not at the table, it's just who's in charge, right? Like they say, if you're an Enneagram 8, I know some of you in here are. Alita's one. She's proud of it. She's probably dominated many of you in some ways, um, lovingly. But eights, when they walk into a room, notice the strongest person in a room. Because uh, I think they're secretly trying to figure out a way to fight them. But, <laughs> but the real reason is because they don't want to be controlled. Uh, and it's, it's probably a good thing to not be controlled is the motivation. I struggle with that as well. I don't like to be controlled. So when I walk into a room, I notice who's, who's in the seat of power here. Who's in the seat of power in this room? Who else notices that kind of thing when they walk into a room? Anyone? Okay. That's interesting, right? So what Jesus is saying here isn't be submissive and do nothing. He's talking specifically to a situation in a culture. He's always speaking into what the common things are that are happening or the common senses that are accepted by all. And the common senses here are the rules of a Palestinian wedding. And just like many of you read that and are like, that's not a dinner situation we're a part of. But in a Palestinian wedding, when you showed up, if you were a more important person, you would sit at a more important place. And it was the way it was. This was not a metaphor. It was actual. Classes in certain ways, all the way down to slaves. They were the last, and they didn't even get to seat. They got to eat, maybe if they were scraps. But when you showed up, you sat in a certain spot. And he's saying to them, all of you guys care about what seat's important here. And you're showing up wanting to be in those spaces, but somebody's going to show up. And instead of you being humble and walking humbly, you're going to be humbled. It's going to happen. And he's trying to wake them up to this. And then he says to them, what's the common goal of Christ? What's, what's Christ trying to do? What's, who is supposed to be at your table? Who's supposed to be at our tables? And we invite our friends, right? Like, and that's not bad. It's not bad to love who you're with, but it's like our life groups. Like we have this idea in our life groups that they should be open. And when we decide who's going to be in our life groups and who, are, who isn't going to be in our life groups, it stops being the body of Christ. It might be good, but it's not that. It's something else because our borders are always open to invite, invite people in, invite people into my home, invite people into your homes. This is the way the body of Christ works. That's why he gets so passionate about this all throughout Luke, all throughout the gospels. He's always challenging people to be around people that they don't get anything from for people who can't repay you. And so I want to read you another passage. This is from Jeremiah 2, 4 through 14, 4 through 13. This is a very different kind of passage. This is pre-Christ, so they're not centering themselves around Christ. They have the idea of a prophet coming, but they've got a structure in place. This is the Israelite people, the community of God, and just like any other prophet, he's telling them the things that need to happen, and it's not a good situation. And so this is a very harsh passage. I would just say this to you. If you're triggered by these kind of passages, it's not that something's wrong with you, okay? It's okay, to interact with scriptures in ways that say that doesn't land right. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, wait a second, if God is this way, then why is that happening? It's okay. That's why he's given us community and the spirit of God to speak into it all the whole time. There's no scenario where you're supposed to be on your own with your word, not around other people. You're not bright enough for that. You're not. As smart as you are, as deep as you are, the community of God is meant to be with you in processing these things. So I'm going to read this to you, and remember, put your cynic over here. You have an inner cynic, little guy, give him a name, put him over here, and listen to this with open hearts. Hear the word of the Lord, 
O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went away after worthlessness and became worthless? This is so different than the New Testament, right? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us out of the wilderness in the land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none pass through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. And everybody said what? Amen? Okay, awesome. Yeah, you're still with me? The priest did not say, this is important, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. So basically, all the people who were placed by God in those offices were the ones who started stepping away, right? And instantly, like, we have fingers to point. But when that happens, it has a massive impact on communities. Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, a different God, and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled. Oh, ghastly. How can you be appalled? I don't know if there's a way that y'all can do that. Oh, heavens, at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two, that's like for me, for my personality to see that he's listing the two evils they've committed. is like, thank you so much for clarifying this next portion of this because I needed more specifics. But they've committed two evils, right? They have forsaken me. The word forsaken, just for you to know, means that they have left him or decided they would rather not involve him in. Again, you already have fingers you want to point at certain things that have done this. That's not the purpose of this. And they have, bro- they have and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's a cistern? Like maybe some of you have them. Some of you are from Jasper. I have family from Jasper. Maybe you have a cistern. I don't know. It's possible. It's a hole built out of the ground that's made to hold water for either either making your plants grow or just water. And so they've, the idea here is they've said, we appreciate, they've not actually said that, they've seen what God has provided for them, decided they would probably do better than what he's done. And while in that, decided to now do their own thing, which is create their own water source instead of drinking from the living water, right? Like, what's wrong with that? Like, that's, you did good for us, God, and thank you for that, but we're here now. And and we can do a lot. And not only that, but they forgot about the communities around them. And they believed that other people were meant to be excluded. And, and the message of Jesus hasn't even come yet. But, but this is a people who started doing things on their own. Now, this is so easy to get on a soapbox and be like, I already know who you're talking about. Like, I know what this is going towards. You're going to tell all, I'm going to tell all of you how you've dug cisterns. And I don't know what they are. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe your cistern is a Netflix, like my dad would say, or my or my space or face space. 
Maybe your cistern is of, of relation. Maybe like there's a person. Maybe, and that's beautiful, right? Like I, I think that's important. But that's not what I believe is being said in either one of these passages. What I believe is being said is the stories of God really, really matter. The stories that we tell our children about him really, 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 really matter. And the kind of effect when we decide that those stories are replaceable by whatever stories seem to be on our horizons, the kind of effect not only lasts to your kid's generation, but to their kid's generation. That's harsh to say to a community, now I'm looking at your kid's kids and seeing the desolation that's going to come. Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying that through the Gospels test, but I believe he's saying, I'm inviting you into a story. When he sat down at the table to speak to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, there was a certain way they did things. Power started up here, and it was dispensed down, a lot like what we have today. This was the most important person. These were the most important next people. These people, this is why the disciples are arguing about which one of us is greater. Who's going to sit next to the Father in heaven? And he's like, you're missing it. You don't understand it. Let me do this. Let me destroy the pyramid and build a table, and we'll sit around a table. So he basically turned it upside down and said, it's no more pyramids. It's a table. And the table is me at the head and all of you around it, and you don't decide who's greatest. In fact, when you come, sit at the what seat? Humble yourself. But the only way to humble yourself is to see yourself in light of Jesus. It's the only way. So the idea that we can have a table where we exclude him from it, so this is what I think is being said. Before you decide to go ahead and punish yourself and send yourself to hell, please don't do that. We are on this side of Jesus. He informs the Old Testament and the Testaments to come and all of the scriptures. What he's saying to us, I have provided everything that you need, period. It's there already, it is available for you. If you decide you would rather not have it, it's like you're choosing a broken cistern and it will not feed you or your family. Please dine with me. Sit at this table with me. Tell the story. So how do we do it? Like I, maybe, like I know some of you are like, I've seen Jesus in person. I heard an audible voice. It's never been my story. I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened to some of you. But when I sit down at a table, Jesus' literal person is not sitting there but the body of Christ is sitting there. And to share the stories of our father with our kids and each other, to share the gospel story, to share what he's actually done with us, we have those stories to tell. You have those stories to tell at your tables. So I don't want to get harsh. I feel a little harsh. Forgive me for feeling and seeming harsh, but we've got to continue the story. And not the story that you got that you thought was the gospel and ended up hating. Hating. So I'm just going to clarify some of those stories. Here's what the story of Christ is not. It's not break all of your CDs. Stop your stinking. You got to stop dancing, guys. Don't do this. So that's, okay, this is where I can go off. I found a website. I found a website that's called Fake Sermons. And it's on Twitter, and I'm just telling you don't go there, and it's all of the sermons you've never heard that should have never been preached. One whole sermon, oh my gosh, one whole sermon was about women in pants, and literally Jesus was coming back if the women would just stop wearing pants, like if they could just stop wearing pants. Another one was about if men had hair longer than their ears, they were living in sin and an abomination. Another one was about the place of women in ministry, and 
the whole sermon was stay at home. And by the time your husband gets home, you should have already made yourself look pretty so that when he gets home, because he's been in the world, like doing the Lord's work. I wanted to scream. (laughs) For in Christ, there is no male nor female, right? We're not moving back towards creation. We're moving towards the eschaton where we sit around a table and feast together right? There's so many narrative stories that we think are the gospel that actually aren't the gospel. You're triggered, right? I can see it. She's like, I'm triggered. She's done. I was playing that around her and she's like, shut it off. Shut it off. It's like, no, I cannot shut this off. Literally is impossible. But what are the stories that you bring to the table you wanted to stop telling because they actually weren't the gospel, right? The story of the gospel is such a beautiful thing. It brings to life people's identity in Christ. It shows your kids how important they are before they know it. It makes them know that however good in school you do, that's not your identity. It helps them to see that you're gifted even at a young age. You don't have to wait till you're 30 to believe that Jesus is real. It helps them to love neighbor well. Like what narrative, I'll tell you a false narrative, is nationalistic gospel and many tables, this when you want, to, you want to hear what happens at tables, go to a, an elementary school and mention some of the current things and listen to what kids say. It's like just regurgitating parent stuff. And it's never like beautiful. It's always fighting. And what narratives have replaced the gospel and made us want to run from Jesus? We are those to tell the stories about the land they were taken out of. Their story was legit. He took them through water and split it apart. He brought them to a land. He gave them milk and honey, which at that time was probably like steak and something awesome, right? Like he did these things for them and they forgot to tell the stories. They forgot what he did. So let him erase the stories that aren't real, right? And sit at the table across from people. And please don't just make it people you want to sit at a table with, because that is not the gospel, To be at a table with people that are very different from you, you have to be Jesus. Because if you're anything else, the fight will start in 10 minutes. But to be at a table, to to be at a table with someone who is an obnoxious conservative or an obnoxious liberal means that you have to have wisdom. You have to have the wisdom of Jesus. To be at a table with someone who's going to make a stance on something that you know isn't primary, to be at a table with someone who's going to mock things that you believe and not become the mocker back to them, takes the kind of Jesus that invites the poor and the crippled and the lame to tables, the kind of Jesus that sits across from structures of power and says, this is wrong. You're doing it wrong. You only care about yourself. You don't even care about the poor. Takes the kind of courage that Jesus would inspire people to go to other countries for, to tell the stories that help people, not just help pad people's stats and wallets. We're called into the gospel narrative, and I want to share those stories with you and my kids, and you can share them. If you need to hear my story and be like, I heard a story the other day. Joshua's talking about this. If you don't have a story yet, listen to stories, right? Like, so here's my question to you, and I'm not going to apologize anymore for going all over the place. That's, I'm saying that in faith. I'm going to get there, guys. What tables are you already at? Okay, I'm going to ask you some penetrating questions. What tables are you already at? And you are at some. You're at one here. You're at one with family. You're at one at work. What powers are at play at those tables? What at those tables means people will be more important? Are you at any tables where 
you're involved where things that have nothing to do with the gospel have elevated you? Like people admire how much money you have or influence or how big your business is or how talented you are? Are you at a table where things are happening, where people are being harmed? Are you involved in a business, like you literally are a part of a business where people are being hurt or manipulated or robbed? That's not a table Jesus would be comfortable with. Is your structure at your home, like if that table, what's that scenario look like? Are people being cared for? Are people being abused? Fathers, this is not a patriarchal church at all, but are you at a table voiceless, doing nothing, expecting your wife to carry all the weight, to share all the story, Is there a narrative of the gospel coming through you? Are they seeing a father figure love like Jesus? When you talk about your emotions, do you want to run? I do. This guy does. I'm actually probably going to run and then come back in a minute. That was too much. That was too far. I'm working on it, though. What's going on inside me? I don't know. I ask my my son all the time, like, what's going on inside you? He's like, huh? What? what What? Good. Like, that doesn't even make sense, buddy. What's going on inside of you in here? It's like, that, I don't know. I don't either, buddy, but let's keep talking about it because we'll get somewhere. What's happening at those tables? Secondly, like, this is a harder one. This is my favorite thing in this whole thing, though. Close your eyes with me. Imagine those tables again. If you were to invite Jesus into those tables, what is he going to do? Is he going to stand up and fight for you? Is he going to tell somebody it's time to stop? Is he going to tear it all down? Is he going to flip it over? He's done that. But let him lead. Ask Jesus, Father, how do we keep the story going? Because we're not just telling about a thing that happened in the past. You are alive and well today and you are moving and you are active and you are anywhere the poor and the brokenhearted are and you are calling your body to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord so that they don't have to be humbled. You guys can open your mouth or you can open your mouth if you want but (laughs) nothing's going in. There's no food. So last question. (laughs) I'm all over the place. Last question. I just lost my last question, guys. Oh, I know what it is. What's the story God's asking you to tell? So if you'll stand with me. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come up. I know what it is. I found it. In humility. Like if you just decide... I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. You're going to be humbled in some way. There's no way to not be, right? And you kind of want to be if you really want what Jesus wants. But the way to do that beforehand is to start humbling yourself around others. And humility means recognizing that you are not God of your life. So you have to hand back the fear for the things that you can't control Even like living in fear is a way for us to say to God, I'm in control. You have to start imagining Jesus in the future 
not just you and your best ideas in the future. You have to start believing that he's placed things in you for the world in which you live. He's given you a voice. You have to believe that God will will lead you by his spirit, whether that freaks you out or not. So with your eyes closed, Father, we just say to you today, I know at this church we want the story of God through Jesus and the Gospels to be the story that draws people. And we want Jesus to see the people of God become like you in character and conduct and to be Christ, become Christ in every way. So if there are any tables that we're sitting at that you have asked us to either flee from or start speaking story to, highlight those. Let the story of the gospel ring, God. I ask God for forgiveness for being so afraid of the false narratives that what we do is we stop talking about Jesus and we just start living on mission. It's just, I'll just love people. Forgive the body of Christ for just deciding there's not gonna be any words. The body of Christ isn't important. We're just gonna go on mission. Help us to see how to redeem the places that have to be stable. We cannot just have people saved and healed and invited back to nothing. Help us to be a people redeemed, God. Forgive us for believing the stories, God, and help us to forgive those that have happened. For the abuses that we've seen in churches that aren't your gospel narrative, for the wrong things that happened in our home, for the voices that spoke angrily into us as kids about behavior, which made us feel all the time like we were scared something bad was gonna happen, for the voices that said, because you're a woman, you're not as important, that's a lie from the pit of hell, it's not even close to the narrative of the gospel, for systems that said that to us, and then just for blatant just deciding what I want is better, like prodigal son stuff. Give it all to me now, I'm gonna go do what I want. Forgive us for that stuff too, that's real. And help us to be a body, Father, that keeps the story going. So today for you, if you want prayer in any way, we have multiple prayer teams up here. For the next few moments, we're going to respond through worship and prayer. So before you leave, just know that you're a gift. You absolutely are a gift. That you are loved. You are beloved, chosen, daughter or son of God. That is your truest identity. And Jesus, we ask that we would press into that this week as your children, that you would be with us, that you would go before us. We thank you that you are a good father. Sometimes gives us things, not what we would choose, but what's best. Help us to be your children and the good and the bad. And we thank you for every good gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.